This podcast is sponsored by puremtgo.com. Head over there for awesome articles about Commander, Standard, and Legacy, even some from my buddy Chesh. Check it out. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Commander Crunch. Mm, nom, 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 nom. Nutritious. Uh, I'm <laughs> one of your hosts. Uh, I am Chesh here, and of course, I'm here with Sam. Sam, how you doing? Yeah, pretty good, Chesh. What's happening? Oh, not much, not much. <laughs> We're here with Jason. Hi, Jason. How are you? I can't complain. Sometimes I still do. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, Jason, Jason's uh, someone I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Um, you probably know Jason Alt's name from a few places. We're talking, uh, I mean, the, the mythical 75% uh, Brainstorm Brewery fame. Um, your content manager of EDH Rec, is that right? Yeah, oh. I mean, I hired everybody, so I make up all the <laughs> job titles. So content <laughs> manager sounds, it sounds good. Like, what would be a better title than that? Like Supreme besides, Lord, maybe. Yeah. Dream the, Breaker. Uh, <laughs> the chief financial officer. I don't know. I, yeah, exactly. CEO, uh, bitch. Uh, article rejector. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lately, we've I've had to step up my article rejection game because really? the EDH Recast podcast said we would like some new voices, and everyone's like, "He means me." So I've we've gotten a lot more pitches lately. Well, maybe those people should have read what that uh, what that podcast pitch actually was, rather than like thinking, "Oh, I can do this." Well, <laughs> far be it for me. As someone who just said I could do this in like 2011, far be it for me to tell anybody they can't. Yeah, I mean, well, um, that's the heart of it, right? Like, I, I think doubt is the, uh, you know, the crusher of all dreams. And I think, you know, <laughs> there's, there's going to be some realities in life where you're just like, well, actually, I didn't Jason's well as the I crusher thought, of all dreams. I think you're generally going to do a bit better with most things if you kind of, you know, fly a bit of it, like ignorance, you know, to the wind and, and just give it a go kind of thing. And, and as long as you uh, test and reassess what you're doing and, and try and actively improve you might actually get somewhere so exactly it's just like any of those people though they they really should have been reading the guidelines around that submission which i have a feeling and and jason i'm sure you can back me up on this Mm. i have a feeling that a lot of those submissions or at least a hefty sum of those submissions would not have met the guidelines that that edh rec has set forth within that particular post on the hey apply here um i think they perhaps didn't read it if they weren't guided by that post to submit, but rather from a solicitation on the podcast. So uh-huh. I get it. It's fine. I get it. I, I mean, I, I've I've only gotten more bad pitches because I've gotten more pitches total. So I've gotten more good pitches, <laughs> but nobody wants to talk about that. That's like a rule in comedy. Nobody wants to hear about a good day, right? <laughs> I Look, I'm always keen to hear about good pitches. I mean, it's not like, you know, they were trying to pitch some sort of like more generalized uh, you know, article subset for well, human players. I am I'm happy to say that somebody <laughs> pitched an exact idea that was directly in my head, like the movie Inception style just went into my mind vault and said, ah, I'd like to write this. And, uh, so I was happy about that. So <laughs> when you get out. when you get an increased uh, volume of pitches, you're going to get an increased volume of good ones. And maybe we should focus on that since I'm apparently representing the brand now in this capacity I, as yes, podcaster. So. You said like, I work for EDH speaking. Rack, and I'm like, I guess I got to represent you. <laughs> You're a good ambassador. I, I really try. <laughs> exactly. So Jason, I only tell people I'm a, an ambassador so I can get diplomatic immunity. 
<laughs> you write it well. Uh, so, Jason, what else have you been up to? I mean, I know you've got um, something I've just got into a little bit and it kind of dovetails into a little bit of outside of Commander and stuff that Chesh and I love to talk about, but you've been doing Film Hooligans. Yeah, Film Hooligans is a, uh, a podcast that um, I do with uh, John Dunning, formerly Orzov Dunn, currently John the Host on Twitter. He's um he's basically done with Magic the Gathering and he's quadrupled down on his movie podcasting. Love and, it. But, uh, oh, the name Orzov follows, you know, that's like will always be there. I think luring back to Magic, no doubt. Yeah, right? Nobody quits <laughs> Magic. They just <laughs> right, sell never. all their cards to me and then exactly. buy them back later. Um, yeah, so Boy. Film Hooligans is a, it's a weird name, especially now that he's no longer doing 10th Street Hooligans, but we were mm. called Director's Cut because we focus on director's filmographies and then we're like, there's another YouTube channel called Director's Cut and they have way more followers. So we were like, we need to rename the cast. He's like, what if it was named Film Hooligans because I do the 10th Street Hooligans podcast? I'm like, that's perfect. And then like two months later... He's not doing 10 Street Hooligans anymore. And I'm like, we can't rename our podcast a second time in a year. So I think exactly. we just stuck with Film Hooligans. But like, when it's you hear Film name, Hooligans, you, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe you think that we... Love Green Street Hooligans or something? Like, yeah. It's half movies and half the Premier League or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and Good nobody shit. wants to hear me talk about the Premier League because I haven't really followed it since I lived in England in like 98. So I'm like, Manchester United's good and Manchester City's bad, right? I remember I when Michael <laughs> Owen was a rookie and everyone's like, dude, what? Now I'm just <laughs> imagining you like sitting in uh, a film theater just going, olay, 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 <laughs> drinking a lot of beer. Boys, Vinnie Jones in this one. <laughs> you know, get a beer, mate. <laughs> Vinnie Jones is it's like the only the only person I was like, I like two things. I like footy and I like film. <laughs> and I only watch <laughs> Vinnie Jones films. So then so then you watched uh, the new Kevin Smith movie then, right? No, wait, the Jamie Muse one. Which one? No, no. The Jamie Muse one that has like Vinnie Jones and and Danny Trejo and No, the last Kevin Smith movie I saw was uh the Jane Silent Bob reboot and I I, I regret it. Somewhere <laughs> in an attic there's a picture of Kevin Smith getting better at directing movies. I highly doubt that. But <laughs> I mean I'm don't get me wrong, I'm a massive Kevin Smith fan, but his writing has gone there, I, I'm sure there's a sliding scale that just keeps dipping down with every new movie he makes, which is kind of sad. He he peaked with Clerks. Yeah. I was going to well, say, no, I, I haven't no. paid attention to anything since, yeah, Clerks and, I mean, knowing Jay and Cyborg. He did Degrassi the next generation. Yes, he did. What? Yep. A little known fact. I was going to say, yeah, uh, who else? Got, I mean, Jason Lee's kind of his, uh, his connected thing. His go-to? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Jason Lee, I'm a big skating kind of, uh, that's part of my background, but we won't get into that now. But yeah, Jason Lee's a bit of a yeah. But um, Jamie's directed and starred in Madness in the Method. <laughs> okay. And it was horrible. It, it basically was like, oh, who actually wrote this? Um, but surprisingly enough, it wasn't written by Kevin Smith. Uh, it was written by, like, Chris Anastasian Dominic Burns. But it had, like, Gina Carano and Vinnie Jones, uh, Brian O'Halloran. 
who everyone should be aware of. Dante. Kevin Smith movies. <laughs> or not Dante, uh, Randall. Yeah. Randall. Uh, no, Dante. Don, wait. Brian yeah, O'Halloran no, was Randall, right? And then. No, Dante. Uh, I got Brian write the is the one with the facial hair, not the blonde haired guy. Yeah. Yeah. I've been drinking all day. That's not Randall. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't check in with that, uh, about that, Jason, but uh, what, what time are we, uh, we looking at on your, um, your, your end of the sphere? Oh, 10.30 p.m. Oh, easy. Wow. It's still at, Friday. And we're I post- got a very confusing <laughs> message from Chesh this morning. He's like, how would you like to do uh, the podcast Friday night? And I get this on a Friday morning. I was like, next week? <laughs> <laughs> Our Friday. Yeah, no, I mean, your Friday. Who knows? But I mean, we're we're hopefully uh, you know can can sit on the same wavelength, wavelength anyway. We're, I mean, we're just post brunch. Uh, like I said, I think it's post twelve, so I can pour a beer and not to feel too bad about my life. But uh, what? Um, I mean, I didn't I didn't want to become this podcast. Uh, I talked to Chesh about this, but you know, let's let's talk about a little bit of beer. Um, what are you drinking at the moment? Uh, so I'm drinking a local Michigan brew called M43. Ooh. From the New Orthodox India Pale Ale series, from the New Orthodox Brewing Company. You're an IPA guy. It is uh, is a hazy IPA, so oh, yeah, um, yeah. they just don't filter anything out of it. And uh, this one is one of the hazier hazy IPAs. I think a lot of people are trying to ape that style right now. Yeah, yeah. But um, they leave it all in the can. They're like, "Look, don't drink the last sip. Either pour into a glass." <laughs> Or roll a can, do not shake it up. Like, there's there's some junk in there. There's oh, yeah, a lot yeah. of dead yeast in this. You don't want that in your mouth. You might so. get some insects. Who knows? It's it's that, that raw kind of beautiful <laughs> bespoke. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's very smooth. I don't like the bitterness of a traditional IPA, but this is mm. very smooth and drinkable. It's got more of a citrusy taste. Yep. I mean, that's what you want. I mean, there was there was the bitterness uh, overload, I feel like, a few years ago. It was, you know. Yeah, it was like, uh, it's a quadruple IPA. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. Every, everyone's on this, like, Tyreed arms race to get the most intense IPA that, you know, it, it, it created this whole thing that if you were, if you had the most intense palate that you could actually enjoy it, then you're, like, on some other level as a, as a well, beer drinker. And about that time is when I stopped drinking as much beer, but, you know. Uh, usually go for the maltier the better and you know probably do that metric with a, a stout or a um you know like your imperial type stuff like give me 12 or 15 percent you know in your beer but one of those and you're good for a little while you know just but, but you'll it. get a higher AB, abv if you do like a, a double or, or triple ipa so like, i think so and, and they're actually where there's, I go that's to, the like, reason to do it but like the side effect that is it's it's undrinkable yeah i mean i get a headache sometimes if it's if it's that intense just from an ipa but so, like you so say, what, yeah, so what the Belgians did is they started adding a ton of sugar because that feeds the yeast and you get more alcohol that way. So they yep. they did what's called gravity style, I guess. It's mm-hmm. like in a big conical tank and all the stuff's at the bottom. So all the sugar and stuff slides down there and sort of just bubbles up all the ethanol out of there. And um, that will get you – it'll get you the higher ABV, but it also – it'll be sweeter. Yeah, that syrupiness. And, that's, and those like that's Belgian fine, actually. Too. Yeah. Oh, I really need to be in it. That sounds kind of delicious. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I I don't drink beer, but that that sounds kind of delicious to me. Yeah. Like a, a sweeter beer. Yeah, the Belgian the Belgian styles are where I kind of that's just my favorite thing ever. Like when that's yeah. you know, especially I, I'm, if you're like a tropical fan. So, like I've got a tropical kaiju that's been sitting in the fridge now for like maybe three months. <laughs> it's just sitting in the can, just not drink touched it because it it's yeah, like exactly. Eh. Beer is made to be consumed. 
Yeah. I mean, you're right. I'm aging I'm a lot of beer, beer so I shouldn't I, talk. But I was about to say that, Jason. I um I recently bought a uh, a pack from my favorite brewery down in um it's like an hour south from Melbourne, uh, a place called Red Hill, and um it's it's near where I grew up, and and they just did a release where they started in like 2005, and they um they kind of released their beers that they had had cellared just as a special pack, and so you could get one of their 2005 Christmas ales, a 2009 Weizenbock, I think it was, and and you know, and, and a couple of the Imperial Stouts over the years, and it was like this is why I was like this is before I was drinking age. This was like, you know, these times. This is I I keep saying I should have picked up Magic cards back then because I would have, you know, <laughs> had a much better collection. You would have sold them off by now. Yeah, exactly. Or probably like quit a couple of times and got back to it. But yeah, they these these kind of beers. Some of them didn't kind of last as well as I thought. But like especially that 2005, I was like, whoa, you're getting some pretty wild profiles there and a christmas ale has all those spices and stuff anyway that, that really let yeah. it sell to it but it's not really big enough. benefit from cellaring yeah exactly like, i mean you know anything that's spicy to to mellow out like there's nothing to mellow out so it's just it's going to be less interesting yeah but i mean that's it you need you need something around the like closer to 10 percent, you know abv you know and have a good time essentially but um yeah far out we, we can go right down the rabbit hole of beering but um you know Good times, especially, I mean, we can get into uh, Australia is a very funny place that it's been very commercial for a long time and it's only in the last five, ten years I've seen, you know, there's like this little revolt of, you know, craft coming, you know, starting up and, you know, um, people actually doing things for taste rather than quantity. But, I mean, I mean it's everywhere anyway, I guess, unless you're in Germany or Belgium. Yeah. Right? Yeah, where, like, the commercial brews are amazing. So, anyway, but, um, yeah, do you want to – let's – I mean, we're talking about movies, we're talking about beer. Do you want to get into some magic first and uh, and then see where we, it goes? We can't. We should, we should actually get day. into it. I mean, yeah, exactly. sure, but like every podcast I go on asks me about magic, so. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> so and that's where I want That's where I It's want refreshing to not to have to get, all right, well, now that you're settled in, let's talk about Jumpstart. I'm like, all right. Yeah, cool. exactly. Let's do it. <laughs> Read the script, Jason. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. I like being a nah. guest on podcast. Thanks for having we, me. Um, we and, like, yeah, we talk about here, whatever you think I could add to the conversation about. Well, the first thing we should talk about is uh, something that you won't be able to add to, and that's the jumpstart delay here in APAC. Yeah. <laughs> so with the Coast have advised that there is a delay or, or a potential, I should say, delay uh, in the jumpstart boxes to the APAC region, including the Love Your LGS promo packs, which I still haven't received, and the... Box toppers from our course at twenty one yeah, boxes it, that we bought. They're the, I mean, the the love you LGS one. Are that is that the two that you get with the core twenty one? Correct. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, I, I oh any any box purchase apparently. So I'm owed three packs. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, three packs of those. Two Ren and Siri. I'm I'm a little distraught. I think you're gonna say Ren and Six. You'll then, get them like, eventually. You'll get them yeah, before exactly. you can play them in person. Yeah, I bang on. I, I, I can't actually get on. to my store right now because I'm outside a you know a pretty hard quarantine zone right now, and um, yeah, and I just don't care about playing in person anyway. Really, like unless it's the webcam. internet's opened, the internet's opened so many possibilities for me. Like yeah, that's true. Now I can play with all of the international people, which has just been absolutely bloody fabulous. I mean, we've even played with you, Jason. So you know, even me, even even you, even Jason wanted to be a part of this. Down at the bottom <laughs> of the barrel. Right, I wouldn't we'll say that. If we have to. I think you're one of the best guests we've had, to be honest. 
I We've agree. Pretty bad guess. So, Jason, I, um, I mean, that's a, that's a good way to get started, actually. I wanted to talk to you about, um, I mean, what we want this podcast to be about is is kind of, you know, again, pretty broadly, but, like, uh, I had the idea as culture, creativity, and the community of, of Commander, and then whatever else falls in place around that. You know, like we say, we've got a bit of entertainment as well. But, I mean, for me, what my philosophy is in, in Commander, I think Chesh is the same. That's why we kind of vibe on this so hard. It's like we... We kind of sit in a spot that commander to us, I mean, or commander to, to, to other people is so many different things. But commander to me is is about the little things, the creativity, the being a little bit smart about things and not not building exactly, you know, what, what everyone, you know, everyone else builds kind of thing and self-expression, everything like that. And, and that has a, you know, fundamental finance kind of side to it where I get more of a kick, of course, playing the card, you know, where people go, what the hell is that? And I didn't have to spend two hundred dollars on it, that kind of thing. And, and I mean, very much a, a finance novice, but you know, I, I love the kick of keeping an eye on all that stuff. And you feel like you're kind of winning at a system if you can pull value out of your collection, or you know, you can trade for something you see that's on on the app or something like that, and get it before it's kind of peaked. But you know, the bottom line is like, but kind of casual, but like it's you know. Uh, we don't have to spend an absolute infinity on this game, essentially, and that's where seventy-five percent comes in, right? Like you know, and, and what you've been about for many years. I don't know that seventy-five percent is a budget philosophy per se, but I will say that EDH or that EDH is supposed to have been a bulk rare format initially. Yeah, right? like that's exactly. what they wanted for it. Where like your big dumb dirtle monsters that cost ten mana were fine. Yeah, exactly. And, like, there are more staples now than there used to be. Yeah, it's true. And, I mean, I mean, card fatigue comes into it, but we've just got that many options now. And I don't like that they're printing staples. Like, staples were baked mm. into the format. They existed. It's like, well, shit, Soul Ring's like, oh, cool. All right, Ristic Study was terrible. It was worth a penny, and now everybody realized that it's absurd. Okay, neat. What else can we find when we're playing by a different rule set? Yeah, exactly. And as soon as Wizards, like turned the eye of sauron on the format i really started to <laughs> get really nervous yeah because like the the first thing they did they're like we want to print stuff for commander i was like that's cool and they're like more than just the commander decks we do every year and then i went oh no yeah and then they said we're gonna make commander players want to buy the brawl decks here's arcane signet and i went oh no yeah Great. Exactly. and just just to voice a little opinion here uh, when you're wizards and you go, team of wreck, that's a deck. Oh, we made we made wreck for commander just because we wanted it in commander. Yeah, we didn't realize that it'd have such a negative impact on standard. And, Thanks, wizards. And that's where it can go both ways, right? That it's it's you know I know what you mean when you I mean I love limited, I, I love it to bits, so I don't think I'm great at it or anything, but I, I find the cards can in a way like value wise feed into commander things course but when you've got x amount of slots in a set that are these are clearly signpost commander cards that you're never touching in limited it feels like a bit of a wasted pick in a way but i mean you know you can't have every rare be a bomb but then in spite of it sometimes yeah that that's exactly what happens josh that you're like oh this was clearly mm-hmm. the commander build around and you know and there's no there's no kind of testing data like 
millions and millions of people and you know it's always fascinating what happens within a few weeks or whatever when people are using cards for what they probably weren't intended for you know and 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 that's super interesting but yeah go team rec i think everyone's got their pitchforks out about it right now (laughs) always uh but the thing the other thing i wanted to bring up about jump study is please 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 do not buy boxes at exorbitant prices these are not a limited print run. These yep. are designed to be a max print run. That means if you're buying a box for over like $220 Australian or what, uh, if you're buying it for over 180 US, don't. Please don't. <laughs> yeah. Chef says might, stop. You think that you're going to make a bank out of these, but people don't do it. Like, there is value in Unless the set. Unless you got them already. If much. you got them already and you're selling your... $80 Allosaurus Rider or whatever, mm. whatever that card is. Oh, like, absolutely. Dump cool, it you did it. Like, get that eBay Skrilla. But if, you, if you're going to wait on these, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay real money. Yeah, yeah. you're right. If you've right. already bought your boxes, don't sit on the cards thinking the card's going to increase in value. They're only going to go down. Like, when I get my box, it's going to be used for content, and then I'm going to dish off as much of whatever's high price that I can and maybe wait until the second run so I can buy a box much cheaper than what I actually bought this one for. I think my one cost me 220 Australian uh, or 200 Australian maybe. I think it was 220. Um, but uh, it, it's just a factor of where uh, stripping the box after doing the content and then selling off whatever's high price because I know those cards are not going to hold value. And there is some really cool stuff in there for... Yeah, there's some cool stuff for Commander. and But the one thing you need to remember is that these boxes don't have foils. They do not have foils. That is a big problem with this kind of ancillary product because the whales aren't interested in those boxes. That means you and your friends are interested in those boxes because you want those commander staples. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I see it in almost like a uh, conspiracy slash, uh, what was the battle bond type kind of model. But I mean, with those two were, you know, not limited print run either, were they? Those sets were well, phenomenal. Also. They were so good. And, and yeah, I, they were, I have they were regrets very for strong. stocking up on more of them. But I, I think the fact that you even made that comparison, it makes me think a lot of people are going to make the comparison and they are going to think that the prices are of a lot of the stuff's going to go down more than it is. Like, I think people are like, oh, Crater Hoof's going to slide to 15 and I'll buy in there. And I, I don't think Crater Hoof goes to 15 no. again. No, exactly. Oh, no. I, that was one of my great wins of, um, you know, humble brag. But like, I, I remember being a bit newer to the commander scene and everything and just going mmm uh what was it? mm3 came out i think that was the one mm-hmm. and um yeah, yeah creative Hoof was literally 12 13 dollars australian and i ummed and ummed about it and i bought it and i was like well yeah i have one now and it's worth oh you se- bought one me. copy i know i mean it was the only one they had in the store but like <laughs> you bought it, one copy and what then a this, finance win Look, I know, did this, it. this is before i listened to you and everything and these, it's just like these these stocks you go hang on how many yeah, copies you got? The one. one, one copy, and I'm, I'm the high roller now. And in, in like I have the, one, uh, I have one share of Tesla. <laughs> exactly, one from eleven hundred to twelve hundred. I did it. Always Time takes, to retire. Always takes me back to that ad in the um that someone on Reddit showed as um I shared. It was the the one from what was the, the magazine back in the day? Um, Inquest. Yeah, Inquest. I'm pretty sure. And it was like it was from Wizards <laughs> of the Coast. And it's like you can play magic and and be an absolute tournament lord and win all this money essentially. And there's had this guy with girls around him with like cars and stuff like that. And it's like oh, well, that's Julius then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just gold. And it was like it was, it was something so endemic of you know 
the real realities of it, you know, like this is, you know, it's going to be hard to make a lot of money doing anything, you know, tournament wise or anything, but, um, you know, it's kind of I nice. Know. That they're trying you just, to you just get the girls in bikinis. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all cardboard cutouts. Have fun fapping. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what I wanted to touch on too, that, I mean, I don't know how much of a factor this is for our game, but I'm, I think it's somewhat related, but I, I do actually, I will commend Jumpstart on the, I mean, it's Gavin's project, isn't it, Chesh? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe so. Okay, that's. Okay. I know that Gavin was involved, I, but I, I feel don't like it was one of his. But anyway, no, I may be completely wrong. But it's the type of thing that I mean, reprints are good. I mean, we've had the fatigue thing of that many cards coming out and everything, and um, this is a nice way to do it. But the the I see the best use for this one being onboarding into the paper game. I know this is on Arena as well, but uh, it's the type of thing. This I I still find there's there's limited pathways for for you know players new whatever to um to kind of infiltrate that store culture or you know uh kind of get into the game apart from like what do you get say your partner if, if they want to play or they're like oh, they're somewhat interested in magic the gathering or you know what do you get a planeswalker deck you know and um there's those kind of methods aren't I, I, i'd never find them that you know appealing for someone really wanting to get get into it and like get into the action straight away whereas this kind of, you know, I hate to say it, this conditions people to crack boosters and go, yeah, what could my deck be this time? I don't have to think about deck building. Um, but there's that random element to it for sure. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, it's it's pretty bloody genius and it's going to sell boosters for that reason. Um, but, you know, I think it's like I, I constantly have people I want to introduce to the game, um, not really in person these days, but I, I find that a really interesting um, kind of, you know, inroad essentially. And I think that it's in their best interest to do that and keep paper alive. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think that this is the set that has me not really scratching my head as such, but just going like originally this this product was touted to be for newer players and then they were like, No, no, it's for everyone. It's like, well, just maybe make up your mind. Yeah, nothing, um, nothing's for everyone. Oh, and the the designer of this was uh Doug Bayer, ah, who was the lead design on this. Um, but we do have Gavin on next week to talk about Jumpstart because, look, I am excited to play it. I am excited to try it and see how it works. I'm also a bit excited to have a chat to Gavin about maybe trying to let us know how draft will happen for the Commander draft set that's coming up. Oh, that's wild. Because these, these supplemental ancillary products are coming thick and fast. Um, and giving us different ways to play is where my mind is sitting right now in, like, peak awesomeness because sure give us a sealed deck fine whatever you know give us a draft box okay it's a draft box like we've been doing that forever as well great yeah, yeah. giving me a new way that i can actually play the game um which is as as a side note why i will keep every year hassling gavin and wizards to put box toppers in that are like plane chase you know to, to do with the planes <laughs> that we're on because that makes fucking sense to me yeah um but uh, I'm excited because this gives us a different way to play. Like, finance stuff aside, I think that this product could be a really cool way to get newer players in. Just, you know, like, hey, you just buy, like, two of these 20-card, you know, boosters that have lands and shit in them already. Oh, yeah. You don't need to know how to build. All you need to know is a rough how to play. Slap them both together. Give them a shuffle. Sit down at a table with your friend. And beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. It sounds great. I think it's just like the most efficient pathway to all those things about magic that people get into it for. It's cra- it's the endorphin rush of cracking boosters. It's the 
you know, the feelings and power of some powerful cards because that's the thing too. Like intro decks might not have that. So, you know, um, but then when your friend goes, oh, you just crack this crazy rare, you got a shielder or something, like it's it's huge and you're like, oh, I want to keep doing this. So, I mean, I think it makes sense on all avenues. But um, uh, Jason, do you want to go into a bit more about, um, I mean, I mean, you kind of did, but forecast for what you see Jumpstart being and, you know, like good thing for our, our, our you know, game in general and, you know, going forward or are you feeling a little bit of uh, product release fatigue at all? Or? Well, they released two sets right on top of each other and that was the worst. Yeah, it's getting, it's like, it's getting <laughs> a bit much. Like it's um, doing set reviews, trying to schedule people to write articles about the, it was just, it was too much. Yeah. I mean, the like the commander stuff when it comes out in unison with a, a you know, a, an actual set or whatever that was that was enough to get through and yeah. it's just they I put think- the, the jumpstart release stuff right on top of core set and oh you can't get the stuff you know jumpstart releases like getting the physical cards is going to be delayed but we still made sure that we didn't give you at any breather between core set 2021 and jumpstart yeah like, i, I get this a lot of the same cards are bleeding over but like it just it made no sense to to stack them on top of each other and then like oh by the way you're not going to get the jumpstart packs for a while so yeah it's exactly. be don't a, worry about it a really long it's, time it's, between it's on your hype of the preview season and then you actually getting the physical cards like it was just they they couldn't have anticipated the way a, a global pandemic was going oh, to no, mess with their supply chain so i get all that but at the same time it's like if you know things are going to be a little wonky why not just give us a couple weeks yeah exactly but but hey, what a saver course be... at 2021 before you rinse the taste out of our mouth with another set. <laughs> Which, I mean, cracking corsets, I know too. Like, it's, you know, like, whoa, like, it's it's the decision paralysis for, you know, just just stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you said, ah, like, I can only ever get excited about so much stuff. It's a, don't it's forget, a very good corset. Yeah, totally. It's, totally. it's going to be all over Arena. Don't forget that one. Oh, Jumpstart. Like, yeah, true, true. Re- remember that Wizards, this, this shows, hmm. This this shows how a COVID like the COVID pandemic has affected everything, right? Because people aren't going to get the physical cards, but it also shows a little bit of foresight on Wizards' end when they were like, "Hey, instead of this just being like you know a master set where we're not going to like add it to anything online, hey, we're actually going to add this to Arena, which was probably a really smart move." And which somebody is the only obviously went, people are playing right now. Yeah, yeah. Somebody obviously went. You know what? Just in case, just in case. Maybe we should think about adding this to Arena. And I feel like they probably would have rushed to just, like, get it on there to make sure that they had it ready for the 17th. So, I mean, there is that as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about M M twenty Core 21 for a second. So, do I have this right that Core 21 collector boxes kind of haven't been showing the usual shift in, like, downward turn in price? They've been kind of sitting. The cards or the like, boxes? It, it seems like the the boxes. It looks like every other box is like basically ended up kind of bottoming. It took some time though. Lot. I mean, it's just a release, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but like generally there by been, now, it's it's been issues with people getting them, and like I don't know, it's it's really it's tough. COVID screwed everything up, so oh, yeah. I don't particularly love trying to answer finance questions right now because like none of it will apply to a post-covid world so we're not Mm -hmm. learning anything that we can apply and i don't know how long this is going like i hope 
if it takes me three or four different blocks to figure out what's going on, I hope that I don't have information I can still use. Does that make sense? Like if this is still going mm-hmm. on in 18 months, me being and able I've, to correctly predict the trajectory of collector's boxes is going to be the least of my worries. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a, <laughs> because I, we'll I be on year will, two of a global it's pandemic. It's a scarier reality. Yeah. I mean, we've already spent how many months? Like, it, I this is going to continue for a while, for sure. Yeah. Well, but, like, the point I wanted to make about the Core 21 collector boxes is the same thing as iCore. I feel like the only reason the price is still stable is because can't bloody get them like you can't mm. like yeah there's there's so few of them in circulation at the moment like i can't get a Korea collector boxes so i've i've decided to opt in on a a core 21 collector box instead that should be here i think sometime this mm. week but like even that like most local game stores that i know have zero stock like it's just not coming in because of covid the expected restock is the same as the jumpstart thing on the 17th mm. and it's just like I feel like that because of no one could have planned for this. Let's let's be honest. But because of you know uh, international shipping and COVID, it's all balked. Everything is balked, mm. and that means prices are weird. And it's it's so hard to tell if anything's going to really you know how much it's going to retain its price and it's because it's a standard set as well. And of course, that with a collector's box just feels bizarre. I mean. I'm not going to complain. It's not like, as good. You get a sexy either. looking. Yeah, you get a sexy Ugin, but it's a corset, mm. you know? Like, how many of those cards are even going to be, you know, worth it once once this kind of like shakes out in the meta? You know, is Teferi going to stay where it is? Probably not. Like, I think we've already seen that Teferi has already fallen in favor by like 50% of what its original price mm. was because it's just like. You know, it's not in the breakout deck that everyone kind of expected it would be. Standard is just like a weird, fickle thing, and collector's boxes tied to standard is still feels weird to me. I don't know. What do you think, Jason? It's. I just stay away from stuff like that. Like, I could spend the time learning that sort of information. Definitely, but like, I just. It's so niche. And it. It's weird being tied to standard. I can't p- correctly predict what's going to be good in standard, better than pros and faster than pros who mm-hmm. play 40 hours a week playtesting. So I've sort of, as a financier, opted out of questions that are too hard to answer because you can't get a question wrong if you don't answer it. Mm. <laughs> Right. So I've started focusing on the stuff that I do understand very well. And like the amount of money I've made as a speculator has gone way up and I haven't made mistakes because I'm just avoiding the stuff I don't care about. I think if you have the money for a collector's box, you probably don't care about volatility because I think you're just like, well, there's stuff in here I want. Mm. So the boxes are harder to get. There's supply issues. Your LGS got fewer. So you're like, oh, my LGS didn't get it. I'll go to eBay. And then eBay has fewer loose boxes because everyone else had the same problem. So they snatch up all the, the cheaper copies. So people listed them for more. And the, the, the price stayed where it is just on the basis of there's no race to the bottom. If you have lots of copies and lots of motivated sellers, prices fall because somebody wants to be 
the, the lowest price because the lowest price sells first. Without a lot of motivated sellers with a lot of supply, there is no race to the bottom. And without a race to the bottom, the prices can't fall. Mm. So when there are supply issues, the prices will remain high. I'm not going to say whether I think you'll be glad later if you paid the current price for a collector booster box. Mm. I, I don't no know one. if the current price is right or wrong. But I do know that there are extenuating circumstances that have made Ikoria and uh, Corset 2021's collector boxes different. Yeah. And I think that has had more of an impact on the price than the contents of the box. And that makes me want to stay away. Mm. There's too many things we don't know okay. and, and can't predict actually with this, you know, in this rare circumstance. For sure. Um,. Anyway, uh, what I was going to get to anyway was um, uh, that kind of leads in a little bit nicely, but I mean, back to kind of some pretty broad commander, you know, philosophy, that kind of thing. But I mean, future of future of paper, that kind of thing, I, I don't think we've, you know, personally, I'm, I'm not too alarmed. I think that's in a pretty safe spot despite everything going on in the world. But uh, what is, what do you reckon, uh, what, what does your most comfortable place in magic look like, Jason, as far as, you know, where you want to see this future go and, and your kind of favorite type of magic to play and you know um you'll keep going back to i didn't like how i felt about playing magic when i was playing competitively mm. so now that i'm just like playing for no prizes it feels better i don't like i don't like playing magic for prizes anymore yeah so, true. um i mostly just play uh, the, the the kind of edh i have played lately has felt like a product Mm, mm, because yeah, I'm playing with other content producers on somebody's stream so we're presenting the game as product so yep. I if I make a joke it adds to the product rather than just like making the game take longer mm. so everyone's personalities aren't a distraction from the game they're part of the product and people doing insane plays as part of the product and like people not stacks locking people and that kind of thing like doing insane stuff and, and sh people scaling back their removal a little bit and letting people build their board state up a little bit so people can show what their deck can do it's a better kind of magic to watch mm. but you feel so, like you're, you're leaving some equity on the table when you actually play this and you know like you're your local kind of game is going to be totally different and you know you're going I, to you're not feeling you're presenting anything I, f I prefer feeling like I'm presenting. I like the performance aspect of the game. I like feeling like I'm creating some content versus just playing a game of magic. Since there are mm. no since there are no prizes or real stakes, I don't care if I lose, but I think everybody's deck should demonstrate something on camera. Totally. I think the people watching interacting with chat i like interacting with chat so i th i think the kind of edh i'm playing right now on webcam is ideal interesting times but i mean bottom line how do you see i know it's a huge question jason but um paper magic the future like where do you see us going casual yeah yeah exactly and it's it's where the money's being made right because i think um they're trying to shift to be a digital card game, which is fine. Mm. I think 
I think watching people play an arena is is clearly what people want because the, the the they're just copying the successful aspects of other card games that are doing well. That's, That's true. <laughs> but they've eclipsed Hearthstone now, right? Yeah, but people want to own and play and buy and sell and convey. Yep. Yep. Physical magic cards, and they always will. They will always want a collection. They will always want to get cards and sell cards and yep. have cards. Exactly. Always and want I think they will. Want. They'll create more ways to do that mm. than just competitive. And I think uh, I think EDH has rescued the game far more than anybody will have figured out and give it credit for. Exactly. Because if it weren't for EDH, most of your collection would be worthless. Totally. I mean, you can't, I mean, the standard cycle alone. Um, and then, I mean, we can just see how volatile things like modern are. I've, I've got to say, no one around my area plays modern anymore. And that used to be the thing, you know, and that's, that, that stuff can change in a few months. When we look at legacy and, and the, the, damn it, the, the, the unable to reprint list. Mm. Um, reserve list. Like, yeah, thank you. The reserve list. Reserve. Like that, that is a, a, a stupid thing, right? <laughs> Do you, do you think I will? I don't particularly want to have the reserved list debate often, but mm. I haven't had it in a while, and um, the reserved list is the reason we still have a card game. <laughs> my my uh, my wall of kelps just looking back at me, just going, "Yeah, you know, <laughs> for two dollars." But yeah, and I I've, I've heard it said a bit and i um i don't have much to add to the topic but i um you know i think it's actually pretty solid as much as some people argue against but you know i think you bang on what is the reserved list preventing anybody from doing really mm. buying julianne's at a at a, a good price okay <laughs> what do you need to um, for the the problem is well i i, I mean, completely agree here's here's the problem i have with the reserved list right I mean, number one, thank goodness it does exist, right? Because otherwise you would be seeing Secret Lair Jewel Lands for a thousand dollars. Right? That's what Wizards would do. We know this. Nothing We've is sacred seen this. anymore. But well, you were no, you're predicating those prices on a world where like there's a secondary market because <laughs> because it's underpinned by this this promise. Like if you want to not have a reserve list, then you're Yu-Gi-Oh. Well, and you, you don't, you, you back, do not want to be Yu-Gi-Oh. I know one wants to be Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> um, but rolling that back, have a look at Fetchlands. They're not on the reserve list, and we've got like, you know, we've got uh, Secret Lair Fetchlands box at like four hundred and fifty dollars, right? Yeah. So you can't tell me that that dual lands wouldn't come out in a similar vein. Probably more expensive because they're more playable, right? Because we know they're never going to reprint uh, a dual land back into standard, even if they didn't have the reserved list. They just wouldn't do it because it's quote unquote too consistent. That's the problem. So, like, my only problem with the reserved list is that it's made some cards so scarce that it makes me wonder how long we'll be able to get our hands on copies of those cards before they a get priced out way too far. I think they're kind of already are, right? <laughs> Well, and that's the point, right? Like, I I can still get revised dual lands for a very good, a very good figure right now. Yeah, like hundred and fifty to two hundred bucks for you know a, a slight play version. You know, definitely not a an excellent condition version. 
you'd be looking at like maybe 200-ish, 200 plus. But the only problem that I have with the reserved list is that at some point, those cards, even though they're in circulation now, they're not always going to be in circulation if people keep buying them to use in their decks, right? I mean, that's that's the only problem I have. Okay. I do agree that the reserved list saved the game, and a lot of people will argue against that. But, like, at the time, it was buyer's confidence, and it needed to happen to put the confidence in the game to keep the confidence so that the game moved forward. Because without doing that, everyone would have left the game, and we would have another dead TCG on our hands, like Star Wars or Star Trek or anything that was around at that time. (laughs) Rest in peace, Star Wars, the card game. Rest in peace, so many cool card games, especially WWE Raw Deal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, apparently... done miraculously to, to make it through such a climate that, you know, this is the type of thing. I mean, look at it, its card. Well, that's it's the thing. Cardboard, like, you know, like it's actually prospered it's a through testament... everything. Well, it's a testament to early marketing by Wizards uh, and also early card design, as broken as it was that the game somehow miraculously survived when other games didn't. Mm. So the first thing you have to wonder is, how did this game survive through Homelands? <laughs> that That's that's a very big question. Because, because Homelands added uh, Autumn Willow and Pale Bears and um, Serrated Arrows. Like, Homelands had enough good cards that, like, See, as bad as all of Homelands was on a whole, everyone's like, oh, it's the worst shit ever. But, like, a good set adds the same number of cards to standard. Yeah, exactly. As Homelands did. That was the point that I was about to make, is the fact that it wasn't the worst set ever. It had some very good cards in it. A lot of the cards were trashed. Yes, absolutely. A lot of people look back on that set the and bad go, cards well, it should in Homelands are worse than any bad card they've ever seen. And that's, that's what people think about. It. Exactly. That's yeah. what people remember. It's and not I mean, all folk Yvonne Hava, baby. Turns out Serrated Arrows life. was very good. Totally. I mean, and that's the sort of thing <laughs> now. Like, how, how many hipster choices are made with the most terrible bad cards ever? Like, it's it's turning that negative into a virtue these days. Like, and I love some Autumn Willow decks, you know? Hmm. But um, it, it's, it's a factor of, like, Magic has consistently made at least a minimum amount of good cards to keep the game interesting to a degree and to keep it running um but magic originally was devised and we're talking like when it was first when the first idea was put out there this was devised not as a tournament game but as a blind box play game right yeah he wanted keyforge and you know what keyforge sucks it's shit yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it evolved magic is richard garfield intended is garbage Mm. Yeah, it's trash. He was mad that they were publishing card lists online. He's like, no, people can't know what's in the deck. You don't even look. You just shuffle and play. It's like, (laughs) you made this as a trading card game. Mm. People want to trade. People need to know that what they're trading is real. (laughs) The development development is organic, you know, and and that's, Mm. that's, that's never going to end up exactly how he intended it because other people have influence on it and i mean more importantly the players are the people that guide it yeah so the point then becomes the fact that you know magic evolved from being you know blind box no list into having lists with tournament play right once tournament play hit wizards of the coast tried to heavily 
influence that into this is a tournament card game for smart people. Not the best move. Not the best move. Because that actually made people not want to play the game. So you had all of these people who were like hardcore into it. You had, you know, your casual players who were kind of playing at home, whatever, like, oh, this looks like fun, right? And then somewhere along the way, Commander comes around. And then all of a sudden, Wizards go, oh, crap. We we thought that everyone was just like loving this game because of the tournament stuff. But actually what we found is we were wrong that all of these casual players are the ones who actually keep this game alive. Without Commander, this game would also be dead. They they always we, knew. Absolutely. They always oh, knew that they most games of Magic were played on a kitchen table, though, unsleeved. They always knew that. And there was no way to track that. So the tournaments became their marketing tool. Yes. That's why they were on ESPN2. That's why they had the commercials <laughs> oh, on MTV. Awesome. The whole tournament series was just like, this is the echelon, the top echelon. This is where you can aspire to, and that builds the pyramid at the bottom. Mm. So there was always people trying to climb within the game. They had to see that there was somewhere to go. But at the same time, they knew they had a good product because packs were selling at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And they knew that. And lots of packs are selling at Walmart. And nobody was buying packs at Walmart one or two at a time to build a tournament deck. So they always knew that more people were playing Magic than they could track. But they also knew if they just put enough stupid dragons in the set, they would sell real well. So it's not like they ignored, they made the mistake of understanding that casual was important. Um I think they well, realized if they tried to make something like EDH happen within Wizards, it wouldn't have succeeded. No, it needed to be community driven. Mm. Well, uh, that's. But but we were like, oh, it was so obvious that EDH came along. But like, how many formats have there been there where where someone tried to do their own thing? How many tiny leaders have there been for like the one EDH success story? Yeah, it's like it's like the force and, and pushing it and, and going, we're making this a thing. And then like that is we're, it's proven that is so bloody hard to do. And you can't. Well, that was what they did with Brawl. But like exactly. what about all the other stuff, stuff that people were like, oh, we have a thing. We think people will like it and like it never caught on. Mm. EDH was lucky to catch on the same way Magic was lucky to catch on. Because well, there's the so many reason- formats that are the Wyvern card game of formats where they're like it, they, it tried and it failed you know the like tiny leaders is a star wars tcg i like star wars i like tcgs and it just it just never caught on <laughs> well the only reason that commander caught on in the first place if you ask me is because it was it was this legendary thing between us judges right like regular players weren't playing it originally yeah um us judges had been passing it around from person to person, like, hey, here's some rules for this subset. Like, this is, this is how you play this subset rule uh, in Magic to make things interesting. We started passing that around. So, like, that was going all across the globe, you know, between judges. Judges would visit Australia and, like, you know, I think the first time I played Commander was, I think, in Sydney. I can't even remember what year, but one of the US judges had come over and was like, Hey, did you bring did you bring those cards I asked for? And I was like, Yeah, yeah. And he's like, All right, great. Shuffle them together. And I was like, What? <laughs> and he's like, Trust me. Take the legendary dragon, put it aside, shuffle your deck together. Let's play. And I was like, uh, Okay, sure. So you know, uh, and it was that thing of like, it started as a kind of a rumbling, like this this weird legend, like 
we had these judges have a new way to play, and it's really cool. So by the time that the players started playing, they'd already heard this like this this weird um, this weird yeti type, you know, unsolved mysteries type format that they all were like clamoring to play. And then once we started teaching to people, they were like, "This is really fun." This alternative back and, alley method of you know, oh, let's see, yeah, interesting thing. It's, it's like unsanctioned, and- almost like a weird guerrilla marketing. Mm. I guess it was is the, like, the cult film where people were copying VHS tapes and giving them to each other. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's, I mean, it, it was the Empire Records for Magic. <laughs> I love that movie. Why? Because it's good. I think you just segued into some movie chat. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Don't know what talking about. Haven't you? No. Yeah. Really. Oh, sorry. you need to see it. I don't think Jason's a big fan. Record store stuff, eh? Have you guys seen the um, the latest uh, High Fidelity show? High High Fidelity, as in the John Cusack movie uh, now turned. Um, What's her name? Uh, Zoe Kravitz show. Pass. Pass. No, check it out. <laughs> high Fide- I mean, High Fidelity is a movie. Um, what do you call it? With yeah, John Cusack, and previously a book. Um, pretty cool movie, and you know, a lot of that music culture coming through and, and record store didn't, stuff. Didn't that have like Robert Downey Jr. as well? Am I thinking of no, no, not that one? I'm thinking about Fast Times at Richmond High. Jack I, Black yeah, is in it. Might. Yeah, I always forget uh, that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hate Jack Black, so there's already a black mark against it. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, the Zoe Kravitz uh, remake show is actually pretty cool. But yeah, side note. But speaking of, Jason, what is your favourite movie? Children of Men. Ooh. Interesting. Hold on, is this the one I think of it? I was sitting um, uh, City, so City of God for some reason. City of God's <laughs> fine, yeah. yeah no, Children of Men's the, it's the Clive Owen uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the one. movie about everybody on Earth is sterile. And there are no more children. And then the I Earth predictably descends into chaos because it's the end times. Because, mm. <laughs> of course. I was going to say, how, how many um, how many end times type uh, movies and, and media have you been consuming lately? Because I know it's uh, a little bit more poignant these days. What's it's it's um I think that's why zombie stuff is doing so well. Like when the mm. economy's good, that's why they made so many vampire movies in the eighties because they're like, we want to live forever. I feel like I can fly when I do cocaine. I got all this money. I wish this I could be twenty five forever. And then, and, and now for my generation, it's like we want zombies because if the zombie apocalypse happened, there would be no more student debt, and money doesn't matter. Yeah, it's we just weird scavenge fantasy. for supplies. I'm scavenging for supplies now. I'll be digging through the dumpster behind Goodwill, but like for a living, it'll be good. <laughs> yeah, and all these marketing executives and people that have all these bullshit social media jobs all that goes away and the most important person on the planet will be somebody that has who knows how to clean a toilet seat mm. and uh everybody will start over at zero and it'll be amazing like that's why people like zombie movies i know you mean in when the economy time. sucks and it's like everyone's like yeah. oh, i'll play fallout i know i know i know what's going on or like this is strangely you know if if anything i think a lot of people like if anything ever happens it's like well that actually sounds like a nice break from the humdrum life of monotony and, you know, uh, yeah. business woes and, and, and kind of, you know, crappy corporate cultures. <laughs> sure, all the water you drink is irradiated and giant dogs hunt you while you try to sleep, but yeah, exactly. no more student debt. And man, you can craft some bases. Um, that dovetails nicely in a weird way, uh, Jason, to something I kind of love to talk to people about. Um, but, you know, I mean, as far as I know, you're 
you've done your own thing. You've managed to fund your, you know, what you do is what you do and, and, and you fund your own lifestyle essentially um, by all your endeavors. Uh, you spend, do you spend a lot of time at home essentially like on your own hours? Like it's not, I, I don't think you haven't been in, in, you know, had to kind of fall into the work for a job, work for people like, uh, you know, in an office type sense, like Jesh and myself have, you know, for quite some time. And we talk about those fantasies of, you know, <laughs> it all blowing up essentially. It's been a decade. Yeah. And since, since I worked for the man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the type of thing that I, the reason I bring that up, that this, the pandemic has made us look at a lot of things and, and you know, how we, we kind of adapt and a lot of companies have had to just, you know, very reluctantly start trusting people to work from home, that kind of thing. And, and lo and behold, everyone's found out that, you know, wow, this is really nice. Like I, I don't have to spend an hour on the train in the morning and then at night or driving, you know, build up all that. I can wear my tracksuit to work. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. I know some people work better in some clothes than others. I think that's still a fact <laughs> for sure. But I mean, I found it's like I, I moved literally the country in, uh, in all this chaos. I think it's exposed a lot of, things as either myths or excuses the trust thing to micromanage totally totally I, I we don't you spend so much time at work dicking around to make it look like you worked 40 hours exactly <laughs> but if you could do all the work you do in 23 hours a week like the company doesn't have to love that they're paying you for 40 but like just pay me the amount of money you pay me and those other 17 hours I can do what I want. Mm. Or if I take 50, I'm not working slow. I'm working at my own pace. As long as you give me a deadline and I hit it, why can't I set my own hours? And why do I have to go in at 7 a.m. where like I'm exhausted because I'm not a morning person because everybody else decided they want to go in at 7 a.m.? Why can't I work my on. own hours? Why can't I have this meeting. Why do I have to go to a building to sit in a room with someone when we have the technology to sit in front of a webcam? This meeting could have been an email, right? Isn't mm. that like the oldest corporate <laughs> like meme? This meeting could have been an email. Well, and, and also like people oh, are. Go for it. Yeah. Every meeting could be an email. I think everyone realized that now. And it's going to be really tough to go back to the bullshit being micromanaged justifying your paycheck by pretending to have worked 40 hours and the model the the lack of trust essentially and that's that's what it it, you know it's this scare thing that you know they're they're gonna they're gonna dick around and not doing any work and it's like i i honestly feel that if if in a in a business structure you can employ someone you know for a full-time wage and then you don't know if they actually done their work or not then you've got bigger issues and you see it's well a lot of jobs can't can't be done remotely like this. It's true. It's true. What if you took half the cars off the road? Yes, infrastructure. Ha- you know, or, it's or huge. A quarter. What well, if all we did was just take a quarter of the cars off the road and cut twenty minutes off of everybody's commute? Like, guess who if, wins? We do, and the night and, and the environment does too. What if we worked four tens or four eights? Mm. What if, God forbid, we moved to a thirty-two hour work week? Like, I, I would love. We that. still got as much done, but like, we just didn't spend as much time in cars. Like, we would cut so much carbon that we dump into the atmosphere out if we just got rid of all the people that don't need to go sit in the same cubicle farm as people that they email. You send an email to somebody who's sitting in the same room as you, like, 
why couldn't I just sit in my own room and spend two fewer hours a day in my car? Because you don't get paid for those two hours. And go but to that's a, part of your job. Go to a meeting to talk about booking another meeting, you know, like that's kind of it. But And, and that's, I think people pay that off, you know, like you say that you can be a lot like people generally will be a lot more efficient when they're given that little bit of responsibility. And, and you know, yeah. that, then they've got, you think of all the, the other amazing things they get time to do. Like it's time with family, it's time to be in the garden. Mental health, man, like it's it's finding peace and, you know, other creative projects for those kind of people that are inclined to do those kind of things. And I think I'm actually seeing a real silver lining to, you know, we talked about with magic, but the people dictate how things are going to go generally, like supply and demand in a weird way. And, you know, that... I'm already seeing that I know people want to move out to this kind of side of, you know, in the country very locally uh, rather than living right in the city in Melbourne. But, you know, the whole, you've all got to wake up, like you say, I'm not a morning person either. You've all got to wake up at exactly the same time, jump jump in the car and feel everyone's, you know, nervous kind of energy around, like on the train or, you know, traffic around you. You can feel it because we're all forced to go at exactly the same time. And how efficient is that? Like, you're like looking out the window, I'm like, why am I missing out on this? I could just do this at night, you know? Um, and I found I can do my whole job from home and it's completely fine, but it's industrial revolution shit. Like it's, you know, we, we go, yep. to, we go to the same thing at the same time because that's what we've done before. Yeah. We're it's, not all working on the same cause... assembly line. Oh, exactly. and our kids, our kids don't need to be in school eight hours a day. They're there. Cause that's the babysitter. Mm, yeah. Exactly. So kids right, would learn better the if they got to sleep in a little bit, especially high school kids in America. The high school kids should be sleeping in. Yeah, mm, totally. But like, but we like, the but problem. they're the, the the schools are the babysitter. So because the parents got to go work. So so sorry, you have to spend eight hours at school a day, and it's not good for you. But sorry, that's how everyone's jobs are. But what if everyone's job didn't need to be like that? Totally. Service industry jobs, sure. Like if you have to go to a job and perform a task. Those jobs can't be done from home, but you could make traffic and like everyone's commute less. Just everything would be easier if we just took some people out of the equation and just like everyone wins. Do your computer based job from any computer on the planet. We don't care where. Just hit your targets. Exactly. And one of the problems that I have with like nothing. I mean, it's it's these institutional kind of. uh, constructs that are there and they just there's never been a reason to question it or there's never been enough push to and nothing really shakes things up like a a crisis essentially so you know time will tell essentially but um we've all done some adapting and they say i mean the zoom meeting thing how we're we're a uh uh, you know i work for a very modern company and it's like you know you'd think so like as a design agency but we still like internally still had a bit of a hard time doing anything outside the office you know like even if i had to get on a call with a developer i'm like oh that's a bit different you know that kind of thing then i you know and it's like now it's like zoom meetings like you can see the people you can get the interaction it's like i don't have to leave my house um you know and i'll say too i i think best best environment for me i'll still get some um you know interaction at work and you know go there maybe once a week or something like long term but you know who knows like it's i can do most of this at home and then everything else wins out i make more bread i you know spend more time with my wife i get to be in the garden and i find peace and you know that that is a promising place so we'll see we'll see i think there'll still be backlash and the, the, a lot more people will say that we need to be in an office when we don't but you know but we're going to stop listening to those people well that's it exactly the people have the power and and that's the point it's like i think i mean it goes back to my original point if you know 
it's it's the self-doubt thing you know if, if you kind of limit yourself you're always going to be limited you know, just sometimes it's worth going i actually have more power in this uh and, and more push than than i realize and jump for it you know and people may actually listen well and a lot of stuff is like well we do it because we've always done it this way exactly and it's 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 really hard to shake that up and i, I keep looking back at last year the start of this year and how i mean i know our country was on the fire and that was pretty scary but still we look at our lives and they're so luxurious and monotonous, but monotonous at the same time like we had all these liberties but we had all these things that were set in place we're not going to rightfully question them you know this is the job i work in this is the way it's done why would i shake that up essentially and now we realize you when you don't it just gets monotonous and you and you you kind of you do you lose a bit of yourself well, i think the social unrest also you're seeing shows that if you don't beat people down and force them to work eight hours and commute two hours and just like not have any time to do anything but just get home and fall asleep to Netflix with their eyes glazed over, mm. they're going to pick up a brick and demand to be treated better. Exactly. And it, like we say, it's it's just inefficient. Like you force someone into a construct of, of working kind of environments like that and how much you know, real good focus and real good you know, um, efficient work are you doing during that week? Whereas in your own circumstances, that could reasonably be done in you know, half, three quarters of the time if, if you just give people a little bit more you know, responsibility and, and trust, you know, and it's, it all pays off essentially. So, yeah. Less meetings. Yeah, exactly. Less. I work in corporate, right? Um, I'm, I'm basically in corporate reporting and I deal with millions of dollars of fuel per month. My, my job is probably one of the most politically charged weird jobs ever <laughs> because I'm, I'm constantly trying to make the process better because there's no written process so i've been writing processes for the jobs that i do within the business the problem with that is that prior to this no one from our business at all has ever had working from home arrangements now that we do and mind you our our productivity is tracked constantly even now constantly is being tracked um, we have to put down, you know, what time we started, what time we left oh. the virtual office, uh, how long we're taking to do certain projects and spreadsheets and, you know, how how many of this thing you've completed because they constantly want to track you like you're a child, mm. right? Because that's what business does. And then as soon as you show improvement, it's not good enough. They'll raise that bar because they want to push more blood out of that stuff, mm. right? Because that's what they do. That is absolutely what they do because the bottom line is how how hard they can push you without you snapping so they can make more money and they're the ones dictating that performance essentially exactly um and i can tell you right now like my performance is exactly the same if not better than it's been at work because i no longer have a an overbearing manager over my shoulder watching what I'm doing. And really, that's the way it feels. Sorry, Jack, it really does. <laughs> um, I, I constantly feel like when I'm at, when I'm in, in the office that I have managing, management breathing down my neck constantly. You know, hey, what are you doing now? Hey, what is this thing? Why is, it, why is this being done this way? Why is that being done this way? But now that we're all working from home, the business is like, um, yeah, I guess we can keep doing this for a while. I mean, eventually we'll need to go back into the office. But our managers now realize like, oh, my team's actually much happier working from home. And it's like, yeah, because now we don't have 
the feeling that somebody is constantly watching what we're doing. We don't have somebody listening to our conversations and then berating us because we're being too loud in the office. We're having too good a time at work, which, by the way, doesn't make fucking sense. <laughs> exactly. But I digress. The, the informal <laughs> glue, I think, like, it's often like, that's not work. It's like, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is informally. Yeah, it's like, well, it, it is because we need to enjoy what we're doing. And the only way that we're going to enjoy what we're doing is who we're doing it with. Yeah. We, like, no one enjoys working. Stop um, kind of seeing everything in absolutes and read between the lines. And, you know, like, it's it's like dropping a, uh, a lord for your tribe in, in magic that doesn't have any real combat stats but he affects the others kind of thing so it's you know and i mean like you're saying like what does that mean for also businesses and office space you know like you need less, less of that infrastructure like to actually uh you know pay for that and actually i was funny i say office space literally just thinking about the movie when you were talking about these corporate <laughs> constructs <laughs> and it's like it, it's funny because i grew up being told that that's not what corporate was like mm. But that's exactly what corporate is like. You know, it, it really is like, hi, I'm number 346. Yeah. It's not like, hi, I'm Albert and, and I have emotions and a life. Mm. It's like, no, you're a tool and you need to do your job uh, because otherwise, you know, you could potentially get fired. And then what are you going to do? Like, especially at my age being 42, being, you know, uh, legally blind, I, I find it really difficult to think about trying to change job to a different job. Not that... We have a lot of jobs available at any time in Australia anyway, mm. but like, especially being somebody who has a disability and who is older, like trying to re-enter the workforce after working for the same company for like almost 15 years, you know, terrifies the shit out mm. of me. So I bend and I break to, you know, as far as I can to put out the right results, you know, <laughs> Because if I don't, there's always that potential that I'll be fired. Mm. But, I mean, that's because old businessmen doing old business things. We only just allowed allowed casual dress throughout the week. Yeah, which seems like We've had casual dress on a Friday for... Well, we've had casual dress on a Friday for two years, right? And then at the end of last year, because of, you know, Christmas holidays, they were like hey, we're going to make it on Mondays and Fridays. And then they started seeing, like, how much of a morale boost it was. And then they were like, if you're not customer-fronting, if you don't have to meet with a customer or, you know, with another business, you can wear casual clothes. And then they trialed that and went, oh, people are actually a lot happier. Do you think? (laughs) you think that people would be happier not having to tie up a bloody double Windsor Mm. or, you know, like, wear a a suit every day to work? A suit should be a fun thing to wear. It's, like, actually a nice treat, but, yeah. It should be a treat, exactly. But instead, we've, like, instilled it in the world because of, like, old corporate bastards Mm. that it's this thing that somehow makes you work better. Like, no, it makes you more uncomfortable. More uncomfortable means that you're going to work less efficient because you are constantly uncomfortable. If you are comfortable, that doesn't mean you're going to slack off and you're going to lounge around. It means, hey, I actually can do my job more effectively. I can do my job better and I can process things faster because I'm not sitting here constantly wiggling in this stupid suit going, I wish I didn't have to wear this shit because it's, you know, Mm. it's it's uncomfortable. (laughs) It's like... You don't put somebody in a torture chamber and expect that they're going to be able to, you know, write a 300 word essay, you know, like it's not going to work. Mm. That's, that's not how shit works. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, that's yeah. kind of it. Like, I think, uh, 
I have no idea what the future looks like anymore, but, you know, I find that oddly thrilling, you know, in a weird way. I mean, I don't, you know, despite everything bad that's going on right now, I, I see some positivity down the line if we can all be sensible, essentially. Um, but uh, anyway, like uh, we've had a bit of a, um, a big kind of broad blue sky rant about a few things, but it's uh, I think it's all pretty um, pretty awesome. We're on the same page and, you know. Um, but uh, where do you want to weave this back into? Like, um, you got a bit more commanded to talk about Chesh, or do you want to go straight into more, uh, you know, maybe even some of these topics uh, Jason's been talking about on Film Hill Wiggins? Well, do we want to hit up Dark Crystal first? Ah. Because I feel like I have things to say. Yeah, Jason, I haven't, haven't even checked with you. Uh, do you know, <laughs> uh, do you have any experience with the, the latest Dark Crystal series? Yeah, I watched all of it. What do you think? It was, it was good. Um, I think they got away from puppetry a little bit. They didn't solve all their problems with puppetry like they should have. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's more like an aesthetic kind of legacy choice, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a, like a respectful Jim Henson thing. Because I think they even... But I almost, I almost didn't hate that. No, I loved it. Because like, like pretending everything existed just from the waist up was kind of silly. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Like, yeah. there was some. I was a big Thunderbirds fan, uh, fan growing up, and like, there's that that odd quirkiness that you just like. This looks. Well, those are legit marionettes. Those weren't even. Yeah, those oh, were right. like yeah. with strings and shit. Like, yeah. That's that's a different kind of puppetry. Like the Jim true, Henson true. thing was like, there's a dude's hand yeah, inside yeah. here at least. And sometimes how do we hide the, the dude? Too, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, how do you hide the dude? And it's yeah, you're and right. The, the, the new of- one is sort of like, ah, puppets have feet now. Screw it, whatever. <laughs> and the, the writing's awesome. <laughs> it's this little like weird hovering type thing. And again, like that's that's the feels a bit Thunderbirdsy, but I mean Thunderbirds they were kind of waddling along. My favorite one of those is when a guy's playing drums. It's unreal. But, um, I mean, both of them anyway, like the can't be denied that the, the absolute design and heart in them though. And then like, that's, I think what I'm watching it and just going, this is, it's really nice to get transported in a way. And I, I think last episode I was talking to why, why are we talking about it now? Did it just end up on Australian Netflix or something? Uh, it's it kind of, I brought it up last week and Chess just watched, uh, watched it and I want to see what he thought. Cause he hated the original movie. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Look, to be honest, like. Um, I feel like aesthetically it was a lot lighter in tone than the movie was. So it's like not as dark, mm. but the themes that it touches on are absolutely like horrendously dark, mm. but there was nothing surprising here. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So we're dealing with, you know, racism and elitism and slavery and okay, cool. Like this, this is not what I want to watch in a world where we have the orange Cheeto man in power. Uh, mm. and, and we have, you know, war with China is looming at this point because, you know, everyone's pissed off at them about coronavirus and they're like, Hey, maybe back off a little bit, but they're kind of like taking over the world anyway. So yeah, that's true. But you know, I mean, I, I think your eyes are very much open to everything that's going on and you know, like you don't need to be reminded of course, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I said last time, last time it's, it's, I found it, a uh, you know, I didn't need to be reminded, but a sobering reminder that hopefully some people might see. It's like, you know, look, this is a, uh, you know, kind of fantasy example of why people shouldn't infight because it's really dumb. Well, it, it's funny because this actually ties back to a comment that Jason's already made mm. uh, much earlier in this podcast is that, you know, people, people want to see something that isn't reflective of the current situation. That's true. You know, people in the 80s wanted to live forever. Well... I don't want to sit here and and watch what is happening in Dark Crystal 
because that's what's happening in the news, you know, with like Black Lives Matters and, and, you know, protest protesters being like smashed by American police because the police are all, you know, ACABs, um, because there's all of this shit going on in the world because, you know, our politicians here are, you know, either half racist, half dumb, or just, you know, really bloody incompetent at their jobs. Mm. You know, all of this stuff is just like, cool. I don't like, none of this is new to me. None of this is what I want to see right now. Like, this is just dark and depressing. Yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> too, too uh, especially, yeah. yeah, especially, and, and hashtag spoilers, especially seeing the love interest um, being used as such a poor plot device and having her die in like episode two or three. And it's just like, have we not been talking about this for years about like how maybe we shouldn't be using female representation as like a plot point? Mm. That, that is literally a fucking plot point. Yes, like, haven't we been talking about this enough to say, hey, look, maybe make the female the hero, but no, that's all right. We don't need to do that here. Like, okay, great, whatever. Ah, uh, good time. But yeah, it was fine. It was fine. fine. It, it wasn't terrible. You know, it was a good watch, but just not as entertaining because of, you know, reflective of the world. Yeah, true, true. And I, I think that might be quite context sensitive very much right about now too um jason anything uh entertainment wise you've been really vibing on lately i just uh i finished stuff so fast yeah amazon is kind of lapping netflix right now i will say that amazon originals are just i don't know like i feel like a lot of good movies are getting added to netflix and netflix just owns original stand-up comedy content right now mm. and stand-up I was going to the club most Friday nights before COVID. Mm. So not having seen live comedy in like five months, it's good to at least get some new stuff on Netflix. I was going to um, say, were you, were you performing or were you just mm. watching? Um, well, I, I don't perform at the club much. I'm not at that level right now. So going to the club is where you meet the headliners and network and do stuff like that. Hmm. So even yeah, though it's I've very, been, very different scene here, so yeah, I've been <laughs> performing less lately. Been kind of scaling back a little bit, but I was still just hanging out with headliners. So not being able Speaking to do that has sucked. But Netflix is at least putting one new special out a week, which adds up over a year. So that's been good. But I, I think um, the original stuff on Amazon is just much better than the stuff mm. on Netflix in terms Speaking of television. Of- Speaking of comedy specials, where do you sit on the whole Jerry Seinfeld thing? What Jerry Seinfeld thing is that? <laughs> like the fact whether that he actually... dated a seventeen-year-old when he was thirty-six, or something else? <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much. I just don't find him funny, and yeah, yeah. But like Jerry Seinfeld's been doing it since the eighties. Like if mm. the same shtick as well. Like yeah. yeah, but that's he's built an audience, and he's pandering to that audience now. Like he's. He's doing his thing. Like you almost have to, yeah. I just I, there's this thing that like both comedy nerds and comics do, where they feel the need to be like, well, I'm just gonna say it. I think George Carlin was overrated. Mm. Like people, when I first started like being a fan of comedy, everyone's like, you know, I, I realize that Lenny Bruce is important, but like I just don't think Lenny Bruce is funny. It's like who gives a shit? 
And then people said the same thing about George Carlin. I don't think George Carlin's funny. Oh, really? You didn't think Hippy Dippy Weatherman from 1961 was was for you? Like, shut up. <laughs> like, you can't you can't judge somebody who broke ground on the basis of other people that came later and imitated his style doing something you like a little more. Mm. So like, yeah, maybe maybe you don't think Lenny Bruce is funny because he was working within like a completely culture that is completely alien to you because you weren't around back then. But like Lenny Bruce went to jail so you can talk about your dick right now. So <laughs> like it's not even show some respect. It's like no one cares whether or not you think he's funny because like that's not even the point at this point. Comedy's not supposed to hold up. And like a lot of it doesn't. Mm. But like either either the stuff was right up to the line and then the line moved. And so now it's like, wow, you can't say that anymore. Yeah, but like you could then. So like, why are you mad? Yeah, the Eddie Murphy or, or delirious thing, you know, like it's, Jesus. it's still epic, but you can't <laughs> say that. The first, the first five minutes of Raw and you're like, ah, you're like, I can't believe. And like the whole audience was just like with them. Because yeah, yeah like, exactly. You could... It wasn't great back then, but, like, nobody cared that it wasn't, mm. and now people care, but, like, should we cancel Eddie Murphy? But that's, that's, it's it's barely the point. Yeah, things because, have like, But, like, saying, but, like, either saying, there, there are several Jerry Seinfeld things. There's the fact that he dated a, a inappropriately young girl several times. Um, there's the fact that, like, his comedy doesn't really hold up because it was written for like eighties clubs. And like it, that kind of observation that he did, people came after him and did later. Like he just, he innovated. So when someone's Mm -hmm. an innovator, you're going to hear so many people rip him off and then you'll come back later and be like, wow, this is just like what everyone else is doing. But yeah, like it's (laughs) hack now, but like it wasn't hack when he invented it. Mm. So, like, Jerry Seinfeld innovated a lot of observational humor. So, like, you don't have to think he's funny in 2020. You don't have to like his latest special. It's it's not about that. The The people who are seeing Jerry Seinfeld are in their 50s, and they have $125 to see Jerry Seinfeld. So, like, <laughs> it's not for you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Legacy. All the that. thing about Jerry Seinfeld that's worth talking about is him like, eh, the kids are too sensitive. I won't play colleges. Blah, blah, blah. First of all, you would never play a college because <laughs> you want to get paid $250,000 a night and a college yeah, is going to pay you $2,500 a night on a good night. <laughs> like, you're just, you're, you're not going to ever do a college. Mm. But him like, oh, kids just want to say that's racist, that's sexist. Blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's just, he's a boomer. <laughs> it's it's old man comedy. He didn't like, he didn't die like Mitch Hedberg would say some head ass shit if he'd lived, right? Like when Mitch Hedberg, if he'd lived till sixty, he would have said something on Twitter, you're like, alright. <laughs> that's out of touch. Like nobody is cool enough to be cool forever if they live long enough, right? George Carlin would be. <laughs> yeah, but George Carlin was he was so far to the left of the culture, everything he said was shocking because people hadn't caught up to George Carlin. But that yeah, was like, true. that was his thing. But Jerry Seinfeld was never trying to shock anybody. He was trying to 
make benign observations so that he can get on television and get paid a million dollars an episode for Seinfeld. Like <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld did what Jerry Seinfeld set out to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like comedy was the vehicle to Jerry Seinfeld insisting on himself until he could get paid more money by being on television. You know, like if Benson had taken off, he would have stopped <laughs> doing doing stand up, right? Wow. Like he likes stand up <laughs> because when you tell a joke and people laugh, like that's the best. So that's why he still does it because he can make money at it and because like people will laugh because laugh there are a lot of people in their fucking fifties with money right yeah, now. Yeah, that's all changing. <laughs> so I don't I don't think there's anything particularly egregious about Jerry Seinfeld's wrong opinion about woke culture. Mm. It's just he's a boomer. He's just saying guy in his fifties stuff. <laughs> it's not great. You don't have to agree with him. But like to act like there's anything inherent about Jerry Seinfeld or or anything like that, it's just a guy being wrong because he's not young anymore. So like I don't under I don't I, I think if people were listening to him, I think like Joe Rogan is a bigger problem than Jerry Seinfeld because Joe Rogan is lo- saying a lot of the same dumb shit, but he has a bigger platform. Because mm. Joe Rogan is. In the ears of every guy who got a D in every class in high school, he's in their phone every week, right? And Jerry Seinfeld is just, like, saying boomer shit for other boomers. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I mean, don't think I don't think Jerry wrong. Seinfeld's the problem. I don't think any comic who started in the 80s where you could say whatever you wanted, you could be Eddie Murphy doing the first five minutes of Raw, right? <laughs> Anybody who started back then is, like... Back in the day, you used to be able to smack a cocktail waitress on the ass. And now, like, just ask Ron White. You can't work in Texas for 15 years if you smack a cocktail waitress on the ass. Like, (laughs) times change and people, especially, like, white boomer dudes, wish that times hadn't changed so much because their life got a little bit more annoying when they had to think about how what they said affected other people. Think about adapting. You know what? Except, except for Weird Al, there's like, I think the Weird Al is the exception there because he has somehow managed to keep himself like in inside the parameters. I guess you could say because like, he never gets political. He's polite, and he just does weird, stupid parodies where he's like, "Oh, that song title sounds like a food." Ah, let's mm. do. <laughs> Live in La Vida Mocha about a guy who makes coffee. Let's do. I am a genius. Because yeah, we're all so silly. He's not. He's not trying to be offensive because, mm. like, he, he doesn't have to. But mm. like, a laugh is a modified scare. It's 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 the same. It's the release of tension after your fight or flight response is triggered. It's somebody <laughs> takes you one way and then real quick misdirection. They, they tricked you. You have to trick someone to make them laugh. And sometimes you have to say some, some offensive stuff. It's, it's one way to do it, mm, right? Like there true. are a lot of different ways to get a laugh. And like, sometimes being edgy is one of them, but like, I think kids in their twenties now never got the memo that when when people tell a joke, there's an understanding that nobody has to agree with it. Because I think people are now are focusing on 
like there's less bullying now than there was when I was growing up. And I think if you were ever actually bullied, you recognize the difference between a joke and being bullied. But I also realized that I think a lot of people ruined it by disguising bullying as a joke or hiding behind that. Just like you say, just some mean shit to somebody and they're like, what was that about? You're like, Ooh, I'm just kidding. Get a sense of humor. Yeah. They're dismissing it. Exactly. <laughs> it's just a joke. So I think Gaslighting, yeah. if, if comedy has to change its approach, that's probably fine with everybody except dudes in their like forties and fifties. Right. Mm. So that's, that's the backlash you're hearing. It's the people that have been doing it since the eighties. They used to say shit that was way worse and now they have to watch themselves a little, and they know that in the future they're going to have to watch themselves more, and that, like, upsets them. But, like, I don't know. Because part of it is sort of like, yeah, you're just going to have to change your approach because, like, you can't just mildly bully anymore and say, I was kidding. you know. But at the same time, I think a lot of the people that are, like, against some of the edgy forms of comedy like don't wouldn't consume any kind of comedy anyway. So it's sort of like as much as it's like silly for a comic in his twenties to say that he doesn't think Lenny Bruce is funny. Like Lenny Bruce isn't for you. I think Jerry Seinfeld's not for someone in their twenties. He's not for you. And you can't be surprised that he doesn't care what you think. Hmm. If I had that much money, I probably wouldn't care what anyone thought either. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think we're going to wrap up there. But uh, thanks so much, Jason, for being on and and just, you know, uh, sharing the mic with us this afternoon or our afternoon, your night. I hope it's not three in the morning now. (laughs) Um, You're on your fourth beer. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been an absolute joy. I mean, we've dived into basically everything we could and, um, you know, keen to have you on again and maybe just, you know, Loved it. Loved to have another game on um, man, the distancing. If I can make it happen too, and you know, um, if mm-hmm. Cheshire will allow me to, and if you want to jump on again as well, absolutely, perfect. Yeah, sounds awesome. great. Thanks for yeah, having so me. So, where, where can uh, people no find you, um, Jason? If there's anything I missed as far as your outlets these days. Uh, I'm Jason Eyal on Twitter, and um, I have a pin post at the top that talks about all the different things I do. I write for. Um, Cool Stuff Inc. and MTG Price. I podcast on the Brainstorm Brewery podcast and Film Hooligans podcast. Um, I'm the content manager on EDH Rec. And uh, yeah, I think that's awesome. It. Just those few things in the community. Um, I'm always down to play webcam EDH. And um, yeah, if you're interested in learning more about the 75% theory, uh, just Google eight simple rules EDH. Yeah. I think that's probably the best way to find the best article to read on the topic. Still an internal article, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, where can we find you, Cheshire? Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash Cheshire Plays Games, YouTube.com forward slash Cheshire Plays Games, or at Cheshire Plays on Twitter. Uh, and also, of course, our sponsors, PureMTGO.com for all of your magic needs. Wonderful. And you can find me at Pastor Jam Sam on Twitter, but probably better off just uh, drop us online at, at Commander, uh, CMDR underscore Crunch on Twitter, um, maybe at CMDR Crunch on Instagram, uh, or you can go to website these days if you want to catch your uh, podcast that way, CMDR, CMDRCrunch.fireside.com. Uh, 
or just drop us a uh, an email at cmdrcrunchpodcast at gmail.com. But um, yeah, it's been an awesome afternoon, guys. Uh, yeah. Hey Sam, speaking about email, did we did we forget? We something? forgot something. So we got an email from another podcast. Do you have it in front of you? The Wizard Staff. Yeah, these guys dropped us a line and they asked us. I don't know. I didn't check if you responded to them. Uh, from one podcast to another, I would like to extend a welcome and ask a question for your podcast. I'm a big fan of Australia, probably my favourite place that I have travelled to and visited. One of my favourite animals is the koala. So my question is. If there were a koala creature card, legendary of course, what would be its CMC, color identity, effect, and stats? Now, I'm actually going to ask this of Jason first, because I think that this is going to be hilarious. So, uh, a koala? Yeah. Has to be a koala, yep. They're probably a zero one. one I was right? thinking something like that, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, a 1-1 one, one, a one, one is like a basic human, so, like, a human could murder a human. I don't know that a koala could murder a human. They can. They're more dangerous so than gonna, people think. Though. I'm going to go <laughs> with like a zero one because I've. I feel like a human could kill a koala. Like, I realize that like you make a a one man a zero three like arboreal grazer or something mm. like that. So I feel like I probably need to make it at least an O two. Yeah, that's strange. That was the creature mm-hmm. that came to mind too. Like maybe I mean green green is default, I think. Uh, but it was something maybe to do with mana. Um, like you say, oh So I'd like th- uh, go for it. I'd like to make it like multicolor, but you really mm-hmm. can't if because it's gotta be like a one drop, right? Or two max. So maybe green white hybrid mana? Ooh. So here we go. I reckon uh, if we go Simic. Okay. Right? Because we give it flash because of drop bears. <laughs> Right. I was going to say it's not a that's not so, a two two bear. I know. I know. No, no. So we make a zero. We make it a zero two koala the bear. Flash. Right. So a koala slash bear uh, with flash. We make it simic, and I think when it comes into play, you just draw a card because of cuteness. Okay. Okay. I was I was going to say something like I say a um uh, they they don't have uh sorry. They are more dangerous in a weird way, like with claws. Uh, strangely carries a chlamydia too. Um, if anyone knew that, yes. um, but but a li- that's because they're they're so sexually attractive. Yeah, and they're, like, they, <laughs> they're sleeping all day, that kind of thing. I was going to say if there was uh, like a zero drop, uh, sorry, a um, a zero three or a zero two type thing that tap for mana, but stayed tapped for whatever reason because they sleep all day, uh, but had some kind of effect where it did. <gasps> Like a, a minus one, minus one counter on, you know, or a poison counter or something on a on a, uh, a, a an opponent. Okay, so here we go. So let's say it's a zero two, right? It's Simic hybrid, mm-hmm. so it's a one single hybrid mana. Yeah. Uh, it the effect is that it it taps for either a blue or a green, but it doesn't untap. The only time it untaps is when you play a land. Ah, yeah, exactly. Like, you got to have it... Uh, That's not bad. Yeah, I, I dig it. Let's run without it, then. Yeah, so Simi Landfall. <laughs> dig. Awesome. All right, well, um, uh, let's submit that to uh, Wizards and see if we can get the, the, the kind of secret lair uh, Australia kind of dropped our way. <laughs> they drop bears, but, um, yeah, no, I mean... You got those APAC lands. Those were popular. They were badass, man. Like, they are sick. They, um, my mate's got a uh, one with Airs Rock on it and the kangaroo and then... Uh, the, the Japanese ones as well were really, really cool. 
Love them. Cool. So, yeah, no, good place to, to leave it. Um, those guys, where can we find those guys who um, uh, dropped in the, the email, Chesh? Uh, that is a good question. Uh, Guy and Blake, it just says the Wizard Staff. Yes, you can find them on Twitter, the Wizard Staff, and they are a podcast yeah. as well, so give them a listen as well. Um, but, yeah, that's that's been us for today, uh, and I'd love to get uh, back on the mics next week. I think we've got a couple of guests lined up. We've got Gavin, I think you mentioned. We're also we we can Chase, we have Gavin. Uh, a.k.a. Mana Curves on as well, so... Well, we'll have so we'll have uh, Gavin Verhey on the next episode, talking jumpstart, mm-hmm. uh, and then the episode after we should have Chase on the on the podcast. Awesome! All right, we'll leave it that. But uh, everyone, may all your top decks be good ones, and um, enjoy. Have fun! Remember to add milk to your command <laughs> deck. Salt too. Take care.